You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Some of you have had to have endured, just like me, doing the Duke of Edinburgh at school. And most of you will know that part of that is to go on an expedition. In other words, go camping. And well, whenever we were in school, we did a practice run and for our gold. And we set off on the Friday evening up to the morns. So far, so good. You're in a nice warm minibus on the way up the road. We arrived. It was beginning to get dark. It was miserable. It was just miserable. It was dark. It was cold. It was windy. And it started to snow. Not good. Fingers were blue. Not because the fingers had gone moldy, but just blue with the cold. It was just terrible. Never was I ever so glad to get home to the warmth, a roaring fire, and a bed to sleep on. I missed my home comforts and being stuffed in a sleeping bag and walking in the snow and the cold. And while this feast of the booths or the tabernacles, it was celebrated so that the Jews would realize their home comforts that they now enjoyed. Because it was to remember the wilderness years where they were living in these temporary accommodations. And this celebration was really unusual. And till this day, it is celebrated as they put up these temporary structures and live in booths, fashion tents really, for a week every year to celebrate what God had done for them. It was essentially camping for a week. And while this Feast of the Booths are tabernacles, it's the most joyful of all the feasts that we read of here in Leviticus. And it's celebrated today, and the Jews call it Sukkot. Okay? And it's from the, the Exodus 13. Whenever the people are leaving the promise or the leaving Egypt, they leave Sukkoth and they leave there and then they camp. And that's where the tabernacles of the booths come from. It's that word Sukkoth or Sukkot, tabernacles or booths. But before we begin looking at what it means today, let's have a quick overview of what it's all about. So when is it celebrated? Please follow with me in Leviticus 23 and verse 33 we're told that it is celebrated on the 15th day of the seventh month so this year it was the second to the 9th of october we've just missed it how long was it we bit confusing there is a bit of seventh and eighth days but it's eight days the first day and the eighth day were sabbath days where the people had to gather together and what was it for well the second half of verse 40 and into verse 41 helps us with that rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate. It's the only festival where people are commanded to praise and to celebrate God. And we have to, this week of, week-long celebration and rejoicing happens just five days after the Day of Atonement. Remember the Day of Atonement was a very solemn day where people were to remember their sin and how much God had done for them, to remember how hopeless they were in a sense because of their sin. But just five days later, from that most solemn day in the the whole calendar to this celebration, this week-long celebration, at the end of the agricultural year, to thank God for all his provisions, both in the physical and the spiritual sense. So these Feast of Booze, or Feast of the Tabernacles, was a feast of praise. Again, that's our first point. It is a feast of praise. And as I've already said, it's the only one that's instructed to be celebrated or praising but what were they to remember verse 43 helps us what they were to praise and celebrate and rejoice in god for 
So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. They were to be praising and rejoicing God by remembering their rescue. It was the Lord that brought them out of Egypt, that they were once under hopeless under Pharaoh's rule, that they were hopeless and helpless and unsavable. There was nothing that they could do to get out of that. And they were asked in this festival to remember their rescue, what God had done for them from slavery to freedom, that it was all the work of God's grace in this great rescue. Their, their festival was to be a praise for their rescue from the hand of Pharaoh and how God had sustained them to this promised land from slavery to God's fulfilling promise many years later. And in remembering their rescue, what does God want them to do? In remembering their rescue results in rejoicing, responding in praise to what God had done for them. So they are to remember the rescue, but they're also asked to remember the rescuer, that it was the Lord that had led them. They had this pilgrim life in the wilderness, and through all those years, God had provided for them. Through all, all those years, they were dependent wholly on God. So living in these tents was to remind them that these people in the generations before, they totally relied on God. They relied on God for shelter and for food and for water and for light. And remembering that God had brought them out of that into this good land, they were to rejoice because it was God who brought them out. They needed to remember the facts of the rescue, what God had actually done, but they also needed to remember the face of the rescuer, the facts and the face of the rescue. And that's the same for us. We need to remember the rescue and the face of the Redeemer. Towards the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic in New York, you might remember that they declared a state emergency and the mayor put out a, a plea for medical staff to come and help in New York City. And there was one nurse named Deidre and she accepted that call to go and help in the hospitals. And well, she had two motivations, one to help, but secondly, because for 36 years, with her, she had carried two newspaper clippings. And I think they're up on the screen here and they're hard to see, so apologies. It says, hero fireman saves girl four. Fireman braves flames, rescues Soho four-year-old. And for years and years, Deidre had carried these clippings with her and she had Googled, she had phoned to try and thank the fireman who rescued her. And this fireman's name was Eugene. It's, it's on the paper, Eugene, I can't say his surname, so I won't. And she says as she went, she wanted to track him, him down or track a family member down. And she says those first weeks in New York were totally overwhelming with all that was going on. But one day, there was a pizza delivery from all the fire crews in New York to this particular hospital. And she went out after them and asked them, is there any possibility you know Eugene? And the fireman said, no, but here's the chief's number. And she was able to phone the chief. And the chief said, oh yeah, Gene, he's in all the time. So to her delight, not only was the, the fireman still living with it, he, she got his number as well. And she was able to speak to him. And then when the media got hold of this, they were able to meet on Zoom or in person, but not really in person, over the internet to see each other for the first time since that moment. 
and she was able to thank him. Now you see, her community, Deidre's community, as she grew up, who would not remember the actual rescue? Who would not remember seeing a building up in flames and a fireman coming out with a little girl? Who would forget such a thing? No one. And Deidre was never going to forget that, but it was really personal to her, wasn't it? And she never forgot her rescuer. She never forgot the fireman. We need to have both. All of us, I would guess, know the facts of the rescue, that Jesus came and died for our sin, that there is hope in Jesus. But we also need to know the face of the rescuer. No point just reeling off the facts of the rescue, but we need to know personally the face of the rescuer. Facts and the face. When we remember both those things together, that it is the Lord who rescues us. It is him and him alone. It results in our praise and rejoicing, doesn't it? For we grasp the significance of that rescue and we look to the one who rescues us. The Feast of Booths was to be a feast of praise. And well, how did they go about praising? How did they praise in this week? It's a wee bit like a holiday Bible club, I sense. They remembered the rescue and the, the, re, the Redeemer, Jesus. And guess what we do in holiday Bible clubs? And well, verses 41 and 43, they're up on the screen there as well. There's, a, there's always a future element to these feasts for the next generation, then even looking forward again. In verse 41, it says that there will be a lasting ordinance, that you're going to keep celebrating this and celebrating this so that everybody will remember the rescue and the rescuer so that your descendants will know that they would know it is true. Like all feasts, there is a future element to all of this. And well, how did they go about celebrating this? Well, very obviously, firstly, they built booths. Okay, so they built these huts, these temporary accommodation. And well, they were to observe these the Sabbath days, and they built these, and often they decorated them with fruit of the time that was in season. And living in these booths was to directly remind them of what their forefathers went through, that they lived in these temporary huts looking forward to this promised land. And living in this camp-like situation was to remind them how comfortable they had it right now, how much comfort they had. Some of you will have known folk who've gone off on maybe short-term mission trips maybe to Africa, and a couple of people pop into my mind. When they come back and give their report, they, will, they come home and say they see life differently. They appreciate and see all the luxuries that they have now that others don't have. And that is what it was like for the Jews, for God's people. They were to remember all the luxuries, all the provisions that God had given to them right now, all God's gracious provision for him. And we too are to remember that. That's why we're here in this Harvest Sunday, to give thanks and remember all God's provisions for us. Because just like these booths that the Israelites lived in the wilderness, they were only temporary. And well, our life here, our, our houses, are only temporary dwellings here on earth. We can rejoice and give thanks for all what God provides us with. And we should do that. But it all points to a permanent dwelling. They lived in huts, temporary accommodation, moved from place to place, longing for that promised land. And as Hebrew tells us that 
Abraham looked forward to that heavenly city, that permanent place of residency in the kingdom of God. And so it is to be for us. This earth is temporary. We look to Jesus and the permanent residency he gives in his kingdom. The second way they celebrated was through sacrifice. You see that mentioned a couple of times in Leviticus 23. But it's Numbers 29 that fleshes out that what is required in these sacrifices that the people give. So here's day one. And it's quite a costly sacrifice. So in total, over these days, there's 189 animals who are no more. Okay? But day one, 13 bulls, 2 rams, 14 male lambs, plus grain and regular burnt offerings, and one male goat. So then day two would be 12 bulls. Day three would be 11 bulls and so on. And day eight, it is one bull, one ram, seven lambs, and then drink and grain offering, regular burnt offering. And I forgot to add one male goat. One male goat as a sin offering. This worship, this praise that the people gave was extravagant. It was an expensive worship of God. But they did it. It was costly to them, but it was to show their praise for their Lord what he had done in their rescue, the fact that he was their rescuer. And it begs us to ask the question, how can we be costly in our praise to God? How can we be giving in our praise to our Lord? What can we give? They gave 189 animals every year. The sacrifices for each day get less and less. Why, why do they get less and less? Well, like all sacrifices, it all points to one sacrifice to come, one and most costly sacrifice of them all, the most expensive, the most extravagant expression of love. And it is, of course, our Lord Jesus, the one and final sacrifice of him. So they built booths, they sacrificed, but then there was tradition, was tradition, for years, we're told in Scripture that this feast of the booze wasn't kept and wasn't kept well. And in Nehemiah, in chapter 8, we're told that the people have come back from exile. They built booze and lived in them. And then in verse 17, we're told that from the days of Joshua until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. It was the feast of booze, but they'd forgotten about it. But as the years went on, there were things that were added to it. There were a couple of things. There was maybe cutting down of trees to more singing and dancing. But there are two additional traditions that I want to bring to you today. The first one was water. Okay, It was to remind them that the Lord had given them water in the wilderness. You remember how Moses struck the rock. And while this ritual that they had, this celebration that became part of it and almost the focus of the celebration that what happened during the feast was that one priest came, he walked through the city of Jerusalem with people singing and dancing all around him, this huge parade of a procession to the pool of Siloam, he was carrying with him his golden pitcher, he dipped it in the pool, brought it back to the temple and poured it before the Lord really well intentioned designed to recall them how God provided water for them in the wilderness, focusing on the Lord. The second one was light. During this feast, it became the, a great ceremony of the illumination of the temple. 
There was these great, maybe 75 foot high lights that were lit up at night. And what was it to do? It was to remind the people that the Lord in the wilderness gave them this fire to follow, to illuminate. And maybe it was to remember how God's glory filled the tabernacle and the temple. But all night long, these lights lit up the temple. And it's written and recorded that it illuminated the entire city. Well-intentioned to remind people that the Lord was with them. But it's not in Scripture. You might be thinking, well, why did they add all this then? But I wonder what Moses and Joshua would have thought of these traditions, don't you? But I also wonder what the apostles or the early church think of our festivals, maybe especially Christmas. We're only whatever number of weeks out. We wrap up lies in fun and excitement, don't we? We indulge ourselves, our family traditions. We have our cultural traditions, all really nice and fun and exciting. But what becomes the focus? King Jesus or their traditions? Our focus is often on the traditions rather than the rescue and redeeming grace of Jesus. The Jews had added these traditions of water and light. They were well-intentioned to remind them of God's provision for them during those wilderness years, but it became more and more about the ritual behind it. And it's with these water and light how it was celebrated in Jesus' day as well. Turn with me to John chapter 7, if you're following with me. It'd be really helpful. John chapter 7. Jesus and the feast. So Jesus is, he sneaks up to Jerusalem, and in verse 2 we're told, and this is the context for what comes. For when the, the Jewish feast of tabernacles or booths was near, and then it goes on to say how Jesus went up in secret, because at that point they were looking to kill Jesus. So this is Jesus in Jerusalem during the feast of the booths and the tabernacles. The people are supposed to be celebrating and praising God, but in reality they have unsatisfied hearts because they're chasing after the tradition and the ritual of the whole thing. They maybe try to thank God for, for growth and life in, in, in the wilderness, but they did not know the spiritual life that God gave them. And it is in that context that, uh, that Jesus says in verse 37 of John 7, in the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow within me. Jesus says, water, that parade that you watch and enjoy, it's me. Jesus says, I am the one who gives life. I am God. You'll be fully satisfied in me, not in the tradition, not in watching this big ceremony, but it's me. I am this living water that you need to sustain life, to have this spiritual life. They've witnessed this procession. Jesus says, it's me, the water you should be coming after. It's me, the water that you need for life. And again then, in John 8, you might have to turn a page in your Bibles after the feast. Remember, temple's lit up. They've seen it every night. The temple is being lit up. And Jesus speaks again to the people. And what does he say? I am the light of the world. The temple is illuminated the whole city. And Jesus says, uh-uh, 
me. I am the light of the world, not just Jerusalem, but the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He remembered the wilderness years following that pillar of fire, how the Lord led them in the light. And Jesus says, I am that leader of the light. I am the glory of God that you are to follow because I bring light to the darkness. I am the light of life, the world. You need to follow me. You need to trust me. I am the fulfillment of all what you're doing. You need to not just remember the facts of the rescue, folks, but the face of the Redeemer. And Jesus says to them, I am that one who has come. I am that final and great sacrifice. And we praise our Lord Jesus that he is our living water, the light of our world. And he leads us in light and gives us complete satisfaction. He quenches all our thirst for more. It's not tradition and routine that will do that for us, but Jesus and Jesus alone. Yes, the Lord provides so much for us, but he meets our greatest need in King Jesus. And we rejoice and praise him because he is the one who came to rescue sinners like us so that we might live for his glory and look forward to that permanent earthly booth, tabernacle, being in God's presence forevermore because Jesus is the light and life and water that we need. 